Hey, Adam Smolcombe here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. I believe God is gonna call some people off the sidelines and into the place of His power and His plan and His purpose for your life today. And we are, you, you found yourself in a great place. We're in week two of our, what I'm gonna call our pneumatolo- pneumatological, sorry, I get tongue-tied, pneumatological Christology series, really. That's the best way I can put it. It's a series where we're really focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And God is already moving through this series. Last week, we looked at baptism in the Holy Spirit. I wanna take it in a slightly extended direction today. If you wanna open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians with me, I'm gonna go to chapter 14. And as we have been spending time discovering the person of the Holy Spirit, I thought we could unpack what it means to pray in the Spirit today. And First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. You know, the topic of tongues has certainly been a confusing one for, I would say, generations, generations of believers. And I feel that the enemy has had a plan in keeping the church confused about this particular gift. So today I wanna bring some clarity around the spiritual gift of tongues. And I wanna do that with a sermon that I've entitled Tongue-Tied. <laughs> tongue-Tied. Hopefully I don't get tongue-tied in this sermon, but, but that's the, the sermon title for today. This is an opt-in sermon. So if you wanna stick around for it, if you're intrigued at least by the idea of a sermon around speaking in tongues, I do believe God will bring revelation into your life as a result. So if you are gonna stick around, why don't you find four or five people around you and give them a little nudge, give them a little high five, give them a little fist bump, say thank you for sitting next to me. Then you can go ahead and take your seats, San Francisco and everybody online. Go ahead and make yourself comfortable. Thank you, worship team. To start with, I'm wondering, and maybe you could help me out. We're pretty packed out here. And uh, I would dare to say that this is going to resonate with a few people in here. But just so I would know how many people here uh, would, would admit that you speak Fluently in multiple languages. Fluently in multiple languages. That is ridiculous. Okay. Uh, Let's go the easier route. How many people here speak fluently in one language? How many people trying to nail one language still? (laughs) That's me. That's me. I, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm, I'm honestly jealous of all those people that just have the ability to speak multiple languages so, so easily, so easily. I don't know how you do it. It's remarkable. My brain doesn't function at that capacity. I'm trying to 
like, you know, master Australian and American all at once, and it gets convoluted. Sometimes I'm spitting out words that my family back home are like, where is that from? I'm like, I don't know, it's from the South, and I haven't even been there. <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting because for me, it's not even just speaking in other languages, it's, it's, it's hearing other languages. Like, not just the speaking part, the hearing part, I have trouble with. Like, I have trouble with. Like, like I, when, when we were first married, I took Kira. I, I had something going on. I needed to go see the doctor. We went to my family doctor. Like, when it's your family doctor, they help get, your, you know, the birth all the way up until marriage. And that's our family doctor. Been going to the doctor at that point for 21 years. And I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and Kira is translating for me. Not because he was speaking another language, but he was speaking English. And I couldn't understand a word. And I actually signed up for a vasectomy unwillingly. I said, yes, doctor. And Kira's like, no, he doesn't want that. <laughs> like, oh, wow. But I get this all the time. Like, you know, I would, be, I, I would be speaking in another country, and I don't know why, but I wanted to embrace the language. And so someone would tell, I was in Southeast Asia, I had people telling me their name, and I was doing everything to repeat, because everyone loves their own name, right? You love hearing your name. So I would honor, I want to repeat the name. And as I'm repeating the name, no, 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 it's like this. And I'm literally saying the same thing. I end up just saying, great to meet you. In fact, I was in Italy last couple weeks, a couple weekends ago, in fact, and I, I, I wanted to really just level up in my Italian. I've been practicing. And so I preached a sermon called Non Resto a Casa. What this means is this means not, I'm not staying at home. Now, now, it's important because there was some, you know, Instagram pop propaganda throughout the pandemic. I don't know if you saw it here, stay safe. You know, the Instagram propaganda that was out there, you know, trying to remove believers from the world. And, and yet they had one too, which was non, uh, il resto a casa, which is uh, I stay at home. I changed it to non resto a casa, which is I won't stay at home. Because the believers are meant to be mobilized. The believers are meant to be out in the world. The believers aren't meant to be hidden down, bunkered down, hiding away. The believers are out there. And, and so I got my Italian on the church, loved it at first. And it got confusing in there. And what my translator illuminated to me is that throughout my notes, I kind of let a few uh, vowels and, and syllables loose in the translation. And what I was actually saying at some points, instead of non resto a casa, I was saying non reto a casa, which means don't go home. <laughs> and another point I said non reso a casa, which means not made at home. And so it's literally confusing throughout the sermon. At another point, I'm talking with the Italians and I keep hearing them every time we're talking and we're chatting. I'm, I hear them say, Figo, Figo, just try it. Oh, already good. And I'm like, what is this that we keep saying? They're like, oh, it means cool. I'm like, that would be so handy. I say cool all the time. And I would sound Italian and they're like, yeah, but pastor, we didn't want to, we didn't want to kind of expose you to it because this word particularly becomes very, very dangerous with one vowel difference. I'm like, what do you mean? They said, pastor, we just don't trust you. Because this stuff is dangerous. This stuff is, I actually think this is how people approach tongues as well. Like this stuff is, this stuff's scary. This stuff's dangerous. Dangerous because we don't know how to approach it. In fact, maybe I could take a little moment today to 
unpack exactly what the spiritual gift of tongues actually is. And I'm not trying to make this into a seminary lecture, but I am hoping that we can illuminate not only what speaking in tongues is, but also reveal on what on earth it's for. <laughs> this, this seemingly bizarre gift, this seemingly bizarre attribute, example that we see in the Bible, a distinct gift of the Holy Spirit, but something that we don't have a lot of clarity on a lot of the time, but trust me, it is potent and powerful for your life when understood. And maybe we could start with some linguistics because ultimately the, the idea of speaking in tongues is often referred to as our spiritual prayer language or praying in the spirit. This is because tongues is the term given to our spiritual prayer language that comes directly from the Holy Spirit. And it's the result of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, in our first installment in this series, we, we saw di several different occasions in Acts, in fact, of the apostles baptizing believers or, or seeing people's come, believers come to Christ, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. As a result, they started speaking in tongues and prophesying at different occasions. It's powerful stuff. We see it in Acts 19 with Paul. Paul went out there and he found some new believers. They, heard and heard, they hadn't heard about the baptism of Jesus. He baptized them in the name of Jesus. They start speaking in tongues. We see it in Acts chapter 10 with Peter. Peter was just preaching and all of a sudden everybody who heard him preaching was filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. Even in Acts chapter 2 at the kind of the commencement moment, the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see that the, the uh, apostles, the disciples, everyone who was in the upper room was so filled with the Holy Spirit, what it seemed like tongues of fire rested upon them, they started to speak in other tongues. The Bible says that when they went out in the streets, people well, at first thought they were drunk, but then some people heard them in their own language. That's cool. I'm praying for that. I'm praying that next time I rock up into Italy, it's not going to be getting the title wrong. I'm going to just be preaching fluently. However, there is a distinction between speaking in other languages and speaking in, in, in tongues. This is the birth of the church. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, utterance, utterance. I like that word. I like that phrase, utterance. It's a great descriptor of speaking in tongues because tongues is literally a spiritual language that flows like an utterance, like an overflow of a spirit-inspired words that spring out of the Christian's life who is so filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that your spirit will speak? Your spirit speaks. And tongues is the language of the spirit. You, you, have, you have within you a body, a flesh, a soul, and a spirit. The Bible says that your soul longs. D David wrote this. He says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. So your soul has longings to it. Your flesh has desires to it. Paul says, in fact, it's a good idea to deny the flesh. That's a good idea because the fleshly desires, they don't always line up with the spirit desires. And so yet your, your, your flesh has desires, your soul longs and your spirit speaks. Your spirit speaks with God's spirit. 
This is powerful stuff. Now, now, these all working together and making up who you are, but yet they're all definable and distinctable in, in, in each of their own element for you to be able to understand that God works his wonders through different levels in my life, that his grace covers my flesh, that his, my soul is saved with him, and my spirit, man, speaks to God. My spirit, spirit speaks. You staying with me? I'm, we're in seminary. And so what you've got to understand is that there is a, an utterance. It's the way the Holy Spirit bubbles up. And, and something important to note is that while the gift of tongues is evidently a result of being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, it is not the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. This has been a, quite a tense point in the church. That's raw condemnation is that for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must speak in tongues as evidence. Don't get me wrong, speaking in tongues, the biblically describing is an evidence, but it's not the only evidence. In fact, the far greater evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit. Check this out in Galatians 5.20. This is what it looks like for those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. He will produce what is called the fruits of the Spirit in our life. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That means these attributes or, or, or these fruits are by far, in my measure, far greater expression or evidence of the Holy Spirit filling and working in somebody's life than tongues ever will be, as far as evidence. This is known as the outworking of the Holy Spirit, where because of the activity of the Holy Spirit in and through your life, you are being progressively transformed into the likeness of Christ and begin to display Christ-like characteristics because of the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the best ways in my mind to display or, or to bear Christian witness is through the fruits of the Spirit in your life. You don't believe me. I, I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this. Uh, I used to be an electrician, okay, before. I didn't just do seminary and go to start a church. I, I, I worked the tools. And uh, I was out on job sites and around all kinds of, like, electricians. You know, I'm talking about tradesmen, okay? I apologize if I offend you. There were no tradeswomen at that point. I love tradeswomen, but there were tradesmen, Thank God there were no women on this side. I'm telling you, it was hairy. And so, and so we were at this job site and there were, there were actually some men of faith there. Two in particular that were extreme contrast to me. There was this one guy, I called him the super Christian. Like he had, a, he had a, like a tactic for evangelizing and his tactic was he would turn up to the work site early. He would go around the work site and change every radio on the work site to the Christian station. And he would even go into the, the company vehicles and set them or all the channels to the Christian station. And I, I get his motive. I know in his mind he thought they're going to turn on the radio, hear the Christian music, fall to their knees in repentance and go, my God, you are real. Didn't work that way. Actually, I think it moved them further away from the goal. At the same time, there was another guy who was uh, in my opinion, had a way to go. Like he, I only knew he was a Christian because, you know, he had like a Christian fish on his, on his hard hat, right? And, 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 yet, and he, would, he would encourage people in the Lord, but at the same time, out of a blessing came a cursing. <laughs> you know, like all kinds of cursing. 
And, and he'd be yelling at people, and he'd be going crazy. He was like a temper. And I'm thinking, this guy is the worst display of a Christian I've ever seen. But what I got to know and realize is that he was a much better witness than super Christian, because I only knew him as a Christian. Most of the guys there knew him before he was a Christian. And what they had seen in him was such a transformation and, and evident fruit of something changing in his life that it was remarkable. I'm thinking, what did he look like before? If this is a witness. But compared to who he was, he wasn't there yet. In my opinion, he had a way to go, but to them, he's come away. And so that was such a testimony that this man had been filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm seeing fruit. It's small fruit, but I'm seeing fruit. It's just budding, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing fruit. So being filled with the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruits of the Spirit doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're being perfected. You're on the process. You're getting better. Look at your wife and say, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. In fact, this is what's so cool about being filled with the Holy Spirit is that even your weaknesses are no longer an excuse. Because Romans 8.26 says this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. This is amazing when you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you, you don't know what to pray. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what to pray. I'm a pastor, I don't know what to pray. Because I've got a situations that I'm facing, and I'm like praying my will, then I'm like, oh, but I want to pray your will, and is your will my will, or is my will your will? God, would you take my will, but you also say, pray for the desires. I don't know, Holy Spirit, take over. Just do it, move Go, released. It's powerful stuff to know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you constantly. That's cool. That's cool. That God's Spirit is in you, praying for you constantly. Man, that's got to encourage anybody here. That's got to encourage anybody who's got heaviness and weariness that the very Spirit of the living God is praying for you and interceding for you. You are not alone. You don't have to face this world on your own. You got, you got a secret agent. Praying for you, praying for you. It's powerful stuff. Which makes me think that if speaking in tongues is from the Holy Spirit and evidently powerful in your life, why is there so much tension around the topic? Especially within the church, so much tension around the topic of speaking in tongues. I, I don't know your background. I don't know if you come from a Presbyterian, Methodist, a Pentecostal, super apostle. I don't know what background you have, but I would say in a church our size, there are many different influences and backgrounds and persuasions that create a whole lot of confusion around this particular topic. So it's my goal to bring an understanding around what is speaking in tongues and what is it for. And a great place to start when anything is confusing or when a topic is tense is to maybe somehow understand what the enemy's intention is in the part. And I've got to tell you right from the start, the enemy wants to silence the believer. The enemy wants to silence you as a believer. 
The Bible makes it very, very plain that there is life and death in the tongue. At the same time, Jesus informs the disciples on at least two occasions in the word, word that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That on earth element is your spoken word. Stay with me. When he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, the in heaven part is God's doing. That's the supernatural spiritual component. But what he's doing is he's matching up a supernatural or a spiritual component with a very earthly and practical component, which is the on earth element is your voice, your word, your spoken word. As you begin to speak, you have the power to produce life and you have the power to curse. There is life and death in the tongue. And there are some things that you have to speak life into and some things you need to curse. There's all kinds of things you need to curse. Don't go cursing the wrong things, curse the right things. Like curse those young men that come knocking at your door for your daughters. Curse them. Curse them until they're 30 years old. No. My house, my rules. There's some things you need to curse. You need to bind some things and you got to loose some things. And so God gives you the ability to bind and loose. That's powerful partnership with heaven. God wants to be in partnership with you. God's plan is you would not just be this robotic drone walking around, but you would actually have partnership in the plans and the purpose of God. So being a true partner of heaven, God gives you authority that what you speak, you, you release, and what you bind, you captive. There, there is power in the tongue, and the enemy wants you to be silenced. The enemy knows better than you the power that's in your voice. The enemy knows far greater than we do at times the power of what we have at our disposal. And so he will attempt everything he can to silence the believer. In fact, this is what rhema means. A, a, a rhema word. Rhema means utterance or spoken word. Logos is the written word. Both are powerful but different expressions of the same word. That when you take the Logos, the written word of God, and you put a rhema, an utterance, or a spoken element to it, it actually becomes revelatory in your life because the Holy Spirit takes it and brings it out of your mouth into your ears, and the word of God comes alive and active within you, building you, restoring you, empowering you through the word of God. As I begin to utter, as I begin to have a, a rhema, and because of this, the enemy's goal is to silence the believer. Now, the truth is, the enemy will use all means possible to silence you in your life, okay? He's going to use shame. He's going he's gonna to use your past. He's going to use your dysfunctions. He'll even use your current disappointments to get you to second-guess yourself and step back in life. He will use your circumstances and your scenarios, your disappointments with a business deal to actually get you back from your calling in Christ. He will get your argument between you and your wife to get you to step back from your calling in Christ. The enemy will pounce on anything that you, he can to get you to second-guess yourself so that you won't operate in the authority that God has given you. And more than those things, like he uses all those things. But one of the ways that the enemy works most potently, one of his main tactics is to create so much confusion around the gift of tongues in the hope that he will distract the church of its power. Bring all this confusion around speaking in tongues and your 
spiritual prayer language so that he can just get the church arguing and confused and rendering it ineffective. And this ain't a new tool of the devil. It's definitely not a new tactic. We see it all the way through Scripture from the early church. The early church faced this as well. They, they faced a large amount of contention around this particular gift. In fact, much of the premise of what Paul is writing here to the Corinthians is in response to a few believers in the church who were taking the gift of tongues and they were elevating it as some kind of spiritual hierarchy. Like they're out there praying, and then they're like, oh, you can't do that? And they were just elevating themselves. I must be more spiritual. Oh, you only speak one language? Hate you. Uh, and so they, they, they were creating this spiritual hierarchy to the gifts. So what Paul says is, I got to fix this. So this is what we have here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, chapter 14. And this is what Paul is. He, he wants to write to the church to help them put in a, a, an order of importance the different gifts that were on display in the church. Check this out, chapter 14. Notice that he starts out by reminding the church that they should let love be the highest goal. That's so cool. That's a really good context to anything connected to spiritual gifts that the goal has got to be love. <laughs> like right at the lens, the filter in which you operate in the gifts has to be through the lens of love. That love is the goal. That love is the application. That at the end of me using my gift is love on display. Is love achieved. Paul wants to make sure that this is the premise behind the approach to tongues, to prophecy, to healing, to leadership. Whatever the spiritual gift is, let love be the highest goal. And it seems like a given, sure. I mean, they're coming from God. It seems like it should be a given. But you'd be surprised how many people have used... Draw correction through prophecy. The 15 people that have been in church most of their life just said, mm, amen. They're like people love to bring a, a prophetic word that ain't got anything prophetic about it. It's prophesying, not prophesying. It's like this, it's like, oh, I just need to correct you in the name of the Lord. But you miss the filter of love. In fact, the lens of love in which you approach the gifts is the same lens in which you receive gifts. You don't have to receive everything that somebody brings to you if it doesn't achieve love. Thanks, Karina. Love, love. So, so, so Paul writes this. He says, let love be a high school. In fact, a few chapters earlier in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he, he says a spiritual gift is given so that we can help each other. That's another good lens as well, that the goal of the gifts is to help one another, not to harm not to hinder, but to help. He's staying with me. And he goes on to say this. He says, let love be the highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God. This is, this, is, this is the unknown tongues, right? This is not the one that is defined or interpreted by somebody, you know, in another language. You know, you're speaking in what you think is something, and then all of a sudden someone understands it in Swahili. This is not that one. This is the one that's only known by God. So if you speak in tongues, only God will know. Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. But the one who prophesies 
strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Okay, so check this out. Based on what prophecy produces in others, Paul then ranks it as better than tongues. And the reason he gives is because when you prophesy, you strengthen, you encourage, and you comfort. That's the byproduct of prophecy, that you strengthen, that you encourage, and you comfort people. Therefore, Paul says, is better. Straight up. You thought that you were spiritually elite because you spoke in tongues. I wish you would actually prophesy and benefit the church. That's literally what he's laying down. So he's like, you want to rank the gifts? Let me give you the correct ranking. Prophecy's better. Prophecy's better. This is good foundation. This is a great understanding. That prophecy is, is better than speaking in tongues because it strengthens, encourages, and comforts all the things the enemy doesn't want happening in the church. The enemy, he wants you weak. He wants you discouraged. He certainly doesn't want you to be comforted, which is why his goal is to silence the believer. Are you staying with me? What does this have to do with the gift of tongues? Let me ask, anybody, anybody, uh, as a, let's say as a, as, a, as a child, as a kid, as a teen, ever played competitive sports? Not as many as speak other languages. Okay, some of you were productive with your childhood. I played competitive sports growing up, and uh, on the odd occasion, we lost, actually. Uh, and I don't know if you ever experienced this. We played soccer, and so at the end of the game, uh, we, if we ever got defeated, sometimes we did, our coach would do something really annoying. He would say, all right, lads, now go and shake hands with the other team. And you're like, I ain't doing that. They're cheats. They paid the ref. There's no way they won fair. I ain't doing that. And whether you said it, you thought it, or at least you felt it. And that's what it's like. It's like, oh, right. And I don't, I don't get the kids that are like, oh, sure, coach, let's go. Oh, hey, guys. Great job. You were awesome. I hate them. You're the reason we lost. Get off my team. But it's not like that. You're like, oh, man, I'm defeated. Like, good on you. Well done. Great job. That's what we're like in the spirit because the enemy is using shame and guilt to get us defeated. And yet we're trying. The coach is saying, go and encourage people. Go and encourage the believers. Go and comfort the believers. But you're like, ah. my job, good job. And what actually, what actually ends up coming out of the tank that's empty is bitterness. Like what comes out is bitterness. Hey, great to see you today. Oh, you're wearing that, are you? This is, this is the enemy wins. The enemy gets you to actually speak cursing when you're meant to speak blessing because it comes out of your defeat. And so what you've got to understand is what Paul writes here. He ranks the gifts for sure. He certainly says that prophecy is better because it encourages people. But check this out. A person, verse 4, who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. This is so good. 
that the, the person who speaks in tongues is strengthened. Now, the apostle Paul is, is he's clear. Don't get me wrong. Prophecy is better because it, it, everyone who hears it understands and they're encouraged and they're built up and they're strengthened. However, speaking in tongues builds you up. Builds you up so that you can do what prophecy is needed to have done. That you can actually do. You know, I, we, are, we are a pretty spirit-filled church here and I've had people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, why don't we speak in tongues more in church? Like that. Why don't we speak in tongues more at church? Well, Paul's pretty clear. He's like, keep the tongues for, your, for, for, for home. In church, say some stuff in English. Say some stuff in a word that people can understand because it's going to bless them. But the people who ask, why don't we speak in tongues more at church are the same people who aren't speaking in tongues at home. Tongues are for your prayer life. So if you want to come and ask me why we don't speak in tongues at church, be ready for me to ask you, why don't you pray more at home? Because that is the platform for you to get built up so that when you come together, you can actually say something encouraging. So you might be able to go beyond your own deficits and shake their hand and say, God bless you. I feel like the Lord wants to, wants to remind you that you are dearly loved, that you are highly favoured, that you are a leader, that God has called you, He has anointed you. And just maybe their heavy week will start to shake off them because of the saints marching out in the Holy Spirit power that they're called to operate in. Just maybe. Speaking in tongues builds you up. It fortifies you. Fortifies you. Fortifies you. It puts you in the mode. My daughter Zali, she we used to say she had a she had a brave mode. She could just switch into brave mode. It was fascinating. Like one time we took her to get her ears pierced, and you know that process is fun. And then we just literally like the clip goes in, and we just see Zali lock into brave mode, like. <laughs> like the tears started coming. Get back in there. Because life's painful. There's stuff against you. But God's given you a mode to switch on power and switch on love. I'm going to get into my brave mode. I'm going to get into my spiritual prayer. I let my soul speak. I'm going to let my spirit speak. I'm going to, I'm going to get into a place where I can give to others. I'm going to refresh my soul. I'm going to edify my spirit. That's what the gift of tongues is. the edification gift. It's evidential gift, but edification gift. It, it edifies you, it builds you up. To edify means to lift up, to, to, to build up, to restore, to refresh, to edify yourself. Well, David prayed, I will strengthen myself in the Lord. He literally puts it in the place of encouragement. I will encourage myself in the Lord. Early will I rise to seek you and I will encourage myself in the Lord. Man, if more believers were encouraging themselves in the Lord, we wouldn't have such a hard job. <laughs> I'm trying to help my own job out here. <laughs> but just to edify yourself, your spiritual prayer language. And check this out. Paul reveals that praying in the Spirit is actually connected to our spiritual armor. In a section of Scripture where he instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he illuminates that Spiritual prayer is also a part of the armor. In fact, he says this in verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Go put on all the armor 
but also start praying the Spirit on all occasions. Let this percolation happen. Let this utterance come forward. Just let your soul speak. Let your soul speak. Let your soul speak. Get built up. There's no point being full of armour but too afraid to enter into the battle. All these Christians. Iresto casa. Iresto casa. In their home. I stay home. I stay home. I've got my Christian radio on. I've got my helmet of salvation on. Ain't going out there. No, I'm, I'm armored up and I'm prayed up and I'm ready to bless those who need to be blessed. I'm ready to curse those that need to be cursed. I'm ready. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. It's the power source. It's the power source. It's the power source. Praying in the Spirit is one of the greatest weapons of the Spirit-filled believer. What do you mean a weapon? How, how does... How does how does tongues defeat the enemy? It's not that it attacks the enemy, but it combats your own self-destructive thoughts. It, can, it combats your own self-destructive thoughts. See, the enemy's job's pretty easy. He just lets us be us. And your mind and your thoughts left with your own destructive self will start deteriorating and eroding your soul. But if God, you allow the Holy Spirit to speak, let your soul speak, let your spirit speak, then what you'll find is you'll actually overcome tools of the enemy. You'll overcome the enemy. You see, prophecy is powerful in loosing others. Speaking in tongues is powerful in loosing me. You thought Jesus was referring to others when he said, whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. He was giving you permission to loose you to loose you, to get yourself loose. Some of you are wound up so tight that you're useless in the kingdom. God said, would you just loose yourself? Let yourself get free of guilt. Let yourself get free of shame. Come on, begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.